All right. Let's get this show on the road. Let's say a word of prayer. Lord God, bless your word wherever it is proclaimed. Make it a word of power and peace to convert those not yet your own and to confirm those who have come to saving faith. May your word pass from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and from the lip to the life, that as you have promised, your word may achieve the purpose for which you send it. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. Thanks to the vicar for leading the morning devotion this morning. Um, I've been thinking a lot about fire. Um, we have any questions? Okay. It was your favorite chapter. Well, okay. Okay. <laughs> Why was it your favorite? Okay, so far, okay. Is it, is any, does it strike anybody else that way as being your favorite chapter? Surely, why is it your favorite chapter? It was, it was, let's put it this way, it was the first chapter of the book that I've read that I wasn't angry with. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the author has gone on so many tangents. Mm-hmm. This was one I could actually sit down and enjoy. Yeah. Well, so, and here's, uh, here, I would suggest here's why. It's because uh, it's from Scripture, right? Uh, and so, now, now, interestingly, I didn't have quite the same, the, quite the same enthusiasm because um, I, think that the, I think that fire, flame, is a little bit less ambiguous in Scripture than she makes it out to be. So, for instance... What does she say? In the opening, she says, she's taking Jesus' words. I have come to set alight your ardor for me and all things good and lovely, and I wish that the fire already lit. That's um, a reading that her friend has of the text that Jesus says, where he says, I come to bring fire to the earth. This is the bottom of the first paragraph. And how I wish it were already kindled. And um, so she she says, you know, maybe there are two different readings of that. Maybe that's a fire that burns, consumes, or maybe it's a fire that warms and enlivens. Um, so I, I, I'll just show you my hand. I think, it's, I think it's only a fire that consumes. But that doesn't mean it's all bad news. Um, so we have to talk about that yet. But Holly, were you going to say something? Well, um, I was just wondering what you thought about when she said, you know, something about like when the fire goes out. And as a baptized Christian, even those who don't come, is the fire really ever out? Yeah, it's never out. Or is it new? Right. Right. Absolutely. And and I think that that's very perceptible for for everybody. Right. You can always think of, you can always think of, um, a fire is a good descriptor for how you feel about um, your piety, about your devotion, about coming to church. Right. So uh, sometimes you are just so grateful. Right. You're overwhelmed with gratitude. This fire is. Uh, is really going, um, and other times you're like, "Well, this is the same thing that happened last week." I don't. What's you know? It's just a teeny little flame, but it's still a teeny little flame, right? It's like the pilot light on your furnace. It's still going, right? And it's gonna, and it doesn't. It's not gonna get snuffed out, right? You're not gonna run out of gas because you're baptized. Right? Shirley, were you gonna say something? Yeah. She also talks about uh, the fire being self-sustaining, the high temperature, and the ongoing. So, yeah. And also, I can't remember where in the book that she spoke about that she wished that the flame be kindled. Yeah. And like, if you're a Christian, just as Holly said, that flame is always kindled. Right. Christ is large, you know, or a child of Christ, and that flame is not 
And, and, well, and this is the, sort of the tension that we find ourselves in often. I, I, I think you'll resonate with this. Um, you, so, we, so Jesus, we were just studying this text at our circuit meeting uh, yesterday in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, you should give what's in your heart, what you've decided in your heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. And you say to yourself, wow, sure, I'd, I'd love to be a cheerful giver. Um, but I'm not, <laughs> right? Um, and, so, and then there's two sides, to the, two sides to the coin, right? So you can, you can give whether you feel like it or not. You can't make yourself cheerful about giving. You can't, no matter how much you twist your arm, it's not going to make, you're not going to make yourself cheerful about it. That, that comes from outside of you, right? It's the same thing with this, this, this sentiment about the flame, about, uh, about kindling, right? So, um, yeah, uh, I wish that, I wish that I always felt what I confessed. I wish that I always, um, uh, you know, had this movement of the Holy Spirit within me that matched what, what the, what I confess. But, Really good news. The thing that makes us Lutherans is, in fact, that it doesn't matter whether or not I feel it. It does. I mean, not to not to. I'm, I tend to be too dismissive of feelings. Pastor Nelson said we we were chatting about this last week, and I said, "Ah, feelings." And he goes, "I love feelings." And I said, "Okay, fine, all right." <laughs> so uh, I, it, it it doesn't matter. It's good. It's beneficial. It's a gift. You're grateful when you have it, but you're also grateful for the fact that Christ died on the cross even when you don't have it. The fact that you are baptized even when you feel like the scum of the earth, right? You say, how can I be that clean person that you said I was? Well, it's not because, of, it's not because I feel like I feel particularly clean. It's because you did it for me, right? That is, and that is, I mean, so we do go through these seasons. And she really is, I mean, she hits the nail on the head. She describes this, her own from sort of stream of consciousness, her own, ups and downs, right? And you see it in different ways. And the, um, the thing that we always have to return to, the thing that we always have to return to, and this is why we have the church, um, is that it's not, it doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come, it's not something that you muster up, right? So you don't become a cheerful giver by saying, um, I'm, not, I'm only going to give until I'm cheerful. No, you give, and then God makes you, then God makes you cheerful because you see, he, say, he promises I'm going to return it to you, uh, uh, you know, a hundredfold, right? Aaron. Well, it's like the little snippet in the bulletin the other day. I don't remember if it was feelings or emotions. It was, they make terrible, they make wonderful servants to terrible masters. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, it's it's parallel to I've talked about Jonathan Haidt, this moral psychologist before. It's parallel to the way that he talks about. Um, your passions are like this elephant that you're riding and you're like a tiny little monkey trying to drive the elephant. So you can, you know, you can, you can maybe make him lean a little bit, but he's still going to crush those trees that you're walking towards. It's, you can't do much about it, right? Um, and knowing that about ourselves, knowing this, having this as our, so this, this is human anthropology. This is how we work. Um, our feelings are all over the place. Um, thank God that it, that they're our servant and not our master. Kirby. When I was in that eighth grade, I, I sort of dabbled in attending the Assembly of God on Wednesday nights with some friends. Very eclectic. They were very generous, letting, you know, they like, sure. 
<laughs> but that was very different. Yeah. I'm Bethany Lutheran and Um I was just so caught up in the drama of it. Right. His legs were growing. People were speaking in tongues. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. A lot of altar calls. And yeah. Me, I was always very dramatic, so that was like... <laughs> <laughs> I would go to like these youth gatherings and they had big altar calls and then I would always be praying, please let me feel it. Ah, yeah. Let me speak in tongues. And like I just, it wasn't happening. Yeah. So, <laughs> I thought I was right. not a very good Christian. Yeah. And then, I don't know, somehow even in eighth grade I figured out that that wasn't, I just went back to Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like a great like lesson for me. But. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and, and, it, and it makes being a Christian uh, really hard, right? I mean, so it can work for a little while. You can maybe have, you can muster up some feelings for a little while, but then the, the, that fire does go out. That's the fire that does go out. Aaron. Well, I mean, I figured that out in eighth grade. Like, I mean, I, was in, I grew up in a church for a while, not assembly, but I grew up that way for a lot longer That's great. You should say that in front of a camera sometime. That was really good. That's because that's exactly what that's exactly the point, right? We want uh, this is this is what makes being a pastor so great because um, everybody's everybody's got you, you come from all different places where you feel like you're, you're not you're not up to the you're not up to muster you're not up to standard, and I get to say, ah, Jesus is. Don't worry about it, right? If you, as soon as you feel like you're not up to standard, then it's for you, right? We'd have something to talk about if you did, if you felt like you were doing all right, okay? Um, this is great. So th- th- this is a helpful way to sort of dis- dis- distinguish what she's saying. The fire that goes out is sort of the, the, your ardor, your enthusiasm, um, which has to be guarded carefully. Like, how do you, how do you regard that? Well, it's not, it's not your master, it's your, it's your servant, right? And it's a gift, it's a gift to be grateful for when you when you have that ardor, but the fire that doesn't ever go out is the fire that the good work that Jesus began in you that He'll bring to completion. Right? Anything else? What what else? Holly. Uh, towards the end of the chapter, she talked about not wanting to instrumentalize prayer. Yeah. And. Um, I thought, you know, she says prayer finally is not productive, and it is not a means to end. But I thought she's wrong. Like prayer is productive, but you are you have to understand what the ends are. Yeah. The right ends. You know, like what is, you know, uh, to use Pastor Nelson's lingo, 
Reaper is not a cosmic vending machine. Right. Reaper Pink Pony, you're not Cosmic Pink Pony. But you <laughs> need to, you know, use. And she does talk about the uh, Lectio Divinia. Mm-hmm. Her Divina at the end about reading and being in silence. But and that felt like was the end. Like that's the end result is the the reading and the meditating on God's word. So right. Reaper can be productive. Right, and and it, it's productive, especially. I mean, in that it is a petition, right? So pay, prayer is uh, prayer that petitions God; He doesn't leave unanswered. Um, it's not like a vending machine. It's also, as Luther says, not like ta- throwing rocks up in a tree, hoping that you knock an apple out of the tree. Because it's 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 neither what you determine is the end, nor is it just a crapshoot, right? But it is the supreme confidence that God is going to give you what is best. Right, that God is going to answer the prayer with a, I will give you what's best. Um, and in that, end, it's that, in that way, it is, it's the most productive thing. Like, it's the, basic, it's the basic thing we do as Christians. We always, I mean, we, it's, it's sort of inevitable. You find yourself saying, saying things like, or maybe this is just me. Um, well, I guess I'll just pray, right? Like, it's sort of as the last recourse. Oh, I, you know, I got nothing. I can't do anything else about this. I'll just, ha- I'll just have to pray, right? It's wrong. It's the first thing. It's the first thing. It's the first thing. Pray. Um, because you, that you have this promise that's attached to it. That it is going to be productive. And that it's good for you. Right? So that's, that's the other end that um, is sort of built up in contemplation. Um, because where do you get the words? How do you know what to pray for? You don't know it because of your feelings. You know it because the scripture tells you what to pray for. Because Jesus taught you himself. Um, and because the Holy Spirit, and you're confident the Holy Spirit's going to fill in the gap between what you need, what you think you need and what you actually need. Um, so yeah, I, and she, I mean, she's interested, she's talking about prayer in this, it, again, I think she's really focusing on how it makes, how it, how it sort of describes her relationship to God, the, the clo- her closeness to God, right? Um, and that it's just like, like if you said, talking to my husband um, is worthwhile in and of itself. It doesn't need to, I don't need to be getting something from him. You know, of course that's true. But um, God invites us to ask for specific things, right? Okay. What else? This is all very good. Yes, Kathy. I guess maybe I was a little sensitive to the way she compared prayer to protest. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, ultimately, in, in prayers, we're protesting that we're, like, you know, not happy with God. I, I didn't get that. It just. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else have any, any thoughts about this? Yeah, surely. Yeah, I felt that she was doing the same um, same order, but I also was feeling that she wasn't really looking at the fact that the Lord has taught us to pray, that this is things that he's taught us individually to do, not only from the heart and feelings, but from what he's directed us to do as his children. Yeah, right. Almost as a parent, parent and children of our own, we do that too, as we uproot and upbring. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Kathy. In the, you know, in the same uh, paragraph, it's why hasn't God kept his promises? So I'm protesting. And that's right. So counter the. It, it will now, and so it isn't, it's this interesting thing. Um, 
so there's a type of prayer which is, um, which is, which is lament, right? You see this in the Psalms all the time. God, you said that you'd do this for me. Why haven't you done it? I want to open, open up your Bibles to Malachi. I've been spending the last couple of days thinking about Malachi. And there's a lot about fire in Malachi, too. Which is, so it's, it's relevant. And if, if uh, we, could go, I, we could actually go through the whole thing. It'd be really, I would enjoy hearing what you have to say about it. But listen to, let's see here. He makes the the people make the people make these kinds of objections, these kinds of prayers like you're describing, um, and but they do it in a unfaithful way. So take a look at verse chapter two, verse seventeen. Everybody found Malachi. It's right before Matthew. Chapter two, verse seventeen. This will sound really familiar in just a second. You have wearied the Lord with your words, so the the. Malachi's structured in, there are six prophetic disputations is what they're called. So uh, he says something and the people reply, like he says at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord, which is this wonderful thing. And the people say, how have you loved us? Right? So, and then they engage in this disputation. So that was number one. This is like number four. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the justice of God? So here's that protest. Things are not as you said they would be. There's no justice. The evil are rewarded. um, and, And what about us? Listen to what he says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So the covenant that you are seeking to have fulfilled, he's coming. He's on his way. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. So the answer to their question, where is justice, is it's coming Thank God it's not here right now, because you couldn't bear it, right? Um, and so this is a, one of the brilliant things about Malachi, but it's not necessarily, so here's the thing to remember, it's not an unfaithful prayer to say to God, where is this, where is this whatever you've promised? Um, in fact, God invites us to hold him to his promises, but it has to be, it has to be a prayer of faith. People, if you use it as an excuse not to trust God, if you say, well, you haven't kept your promises, and so I'm not going to pay any attention to you, then it's, a, then it's not a faithful prayer. But if you say, no, you pr- you've proven to be good on your promises to this point. Where's the fulfillment of this promise? Um, that is, that's the, a prayer of faith, because you're calling to mind the promise. You're holding it before God's eyes, and you're saying, this is, what's, this is what uh, you give, you've given to us. And so, um, you know, like lighting yourself on fire in protest, that's really not, not the kind of prayer that, like you don't go on a hunger strike when God doesn't give you what you pray for. Um, but you do go to church, right? Because he, he says, uh, I'll, I'm answering your prayers there. I'm answering them there. Um, so there is a, there's a sharp distinction between what she's describing and what, what, we, what the faithful person does in lament, Right? Um, and we should do this all the time, as a matter of fact, right? So we say, 
uh, God, you are, you are gracious, God. You are merciful. You are abounding in steadfast love. And yet, look, look at what we see. Where, where is your mercy? Where is your steadfast love? And he, and he, he answers that prayer. Um, Krista. The answer of uh, the prayer was um, 400 years later, nearly. Right, yeah, sometimes you have to wait a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I think that's the same with us. Uh huh, yeah, that's absolutely right. Now, two years, 2,000 years. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That we are are waiting. Yeah, yeah. So, um, to fulfill, to see the fulfillment. Mm hmm, right. and, it, and it even sort of, so, so this is another interesting thing um, to bear in mind about, about prayer and about your relationship to God, God is that it is a timely thing. It's not, it's not uh, something that sort of sits outside of time. Like, here's you and God, and here's time passing along in the world. But no, things change over the course of time, right? So in fact, the people up till... The people up till the time of Jesus had the promises, and Jesus says to the apostles, many wise men long to see what you've seen, right? Um, and then Jesus says to them, so as, uh, this is the text, the gospel for Sunday, he's on his way to the cross. Like he's just, he, Simon of Cyrene has just taken the cross from him, and Jesus turns to the mourners and says, don't weep for me, daughters of Jerusalem. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the day is coming, he says. There's going to be a day when you'll, sit, when you'll say, mountains fall on us and hills cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will they do when the wood is dry? It's another, it has to do with fire again, right? The fire is coming. Don't weep, don't weep. Even now, when Jesus is on, the way to, on his way to the cross, um, it's, not, it's not the fulfillment, the, the consummation of what he's promised. Um, so wait, wait patiently. And this is, the, uh, so this is the last Sunday of the church year, coming up on Sunday. Um, and this is the message of the last Sunday of the church here is it's coming, right? It's not, it, you, don't, don't be complacent. Don't neglect to fill your oil jars with oil because, and don't think that he's not coming. He's, he's coming. And when he comes, it's going to be like a blazing fire. And what does a fire do? It consumes and purifies. It consumes what's unclean and purifies, that refines that which is clean. Um, so for you, the fire is a good thing because uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you perfect. But it hurts though, too. It does hurt, yeah. And that's why, we, that's why we are always trying to temper it. We're always trying to say, well, it's not really, really going to really be so bad or we don't have to be, we don't have to, the, the, uh, you don't have to be, on, on your guard in the same way that everybody else does because zero, it's going to be all right. Well, it's going to be a fire, you know? <laughs> yeah. What else? Elizabeth. Yeah, I mean it's a horrible image, right? It's it's horrible to think about, and so what she admires is somebody who's so convicted about something, right? That they're willing to do that. Um, and but, 
that right right yeah which you know i think um at, if we think of ourselves as um as people who pray for the world and as as agents of god's justice in the world um then and that god's you know that god doesn't have a uh, something something better in mind then you're tem- then you're tempted to sort of really see um dramatic displays of conviction and um you know burnt lighting yourself on fire as um faith right um but what's inter- so what if if you were going to describe what she, that one, the buddhist monk did as an act of faith what what is she putting her faith in Yeah. Yeah, the sensibility of human beings. That people are going to look at this and say, that's horrible. She must have something really important to say to us. Um, but people aren't, people aren't worth putting their faith in. Um, and they don't get it. Right? Um, and so that's why we don't light ourselves on fire. Although sometimes we do get lit on fire. Right? Um, but it's not, we're not going to do that because it's. Uh, it's up to God. Okay. Yes, Emily. And just let me comment about prayer and answers. That um, we commonly say that was an answer to prayer, but it's almost always when we got a yes. Or when when we got what yeah when we got what we wanted. We don't usually say when we got a no or wait. Yeah. So here's a, that, that, that's exactly right. So here's an exercise for you. Do what David does in the Psalms. Pray for something and then say immediately afterwards, thank you for answering my prayer. I, I mean, I, it's astounding how David does this. Like he's in the throes of some great conflict and, and agonizing over his situation and he's lamenting and he says, God pulled me out of the, de- the pit. And then he says, thank you for doing that for me. This, immediately afterwards, in the same breath, right? Which is, you know, that's how certain we are the prayer is going to be answered. That's how certain it is. In the same breath that we utter the petition, it's, it's answered. Yeah. That's, thanks for, that's a good, that's a really good point. Yeah. Try that sometime. Uh, anything else? You were very thoughtful about this chapter. This is good. I thought it would be interesting to um, to turn around and go back to scripture a bit um, and just think about think about fire in scripture. I'm torn because I really have been captivated by Malachi the last couple of days, and I'd love to just talk about that. But there's a lot there's a lot there. So maybe what we'll do talk about a few things as they come up. Where do you? Uh, let's just talk about fire in the Bible. Where's fire? Fire in the Bible. Where? The angel with the sword. Okay, flaming swords. Okay, okay. Um, burning bush. What does that mean? But what? what's the deal with the burning bush? What kind of a fire is that? Yeah. Um. Is that what she's saying? It really was burning? Did she, she, I remember, she, 
What did she say about that? Do you remember where that was? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what, regardless, regardless, the bush is on fire and it doesn't get consumed. What else do you know about that story? What are the other key parts of that story? M- Moses is there. It's sacred ground. What does Moses have to do? Take off his shoes. Because the fire is, in, indicates that it's holy ground, right? So already right here we have um, a relationship between fire and holiness, right? Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Watch out. This fire, which isn't consuming this bush, just might consume you. Okay? Where else? What else do we have fire? Pillar of fire um, that leads the people of Israel. Okay. And this is um, how the people recognize God's presence, right? Because also in the temple, how do they know that God is there? He consumes the sacrifice. And in fact, th- this is really interesting um, to me. Uh, the fire that's used to, that, used, that was used in the temple was God's fire. Right, so God can. You remember all the times that God consumes something, consumes a sacrifice. Um, there's the story that happens in Leviticus: Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, come into the temple and they offer unauthorized fire, foreign, alien fire, fire that's not God's fire. And do you know what happens to them? They get consumed, right? Because uh, the fire that that God uh, sends the fire that is his holiness can't can't coexist with other fires, and it necessarily consumes it consumes what's un, unclean, what's unholy. I mean, this is this is why the image of fire is is terrifying. It consumes what's unholy. You are unholy. What are you going to do about it? Right. This is the way it goes. Okay, um, and the, and the the image persists throughout throughout scripture. Where else is fire? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to put three men. Uh, fiery furnace. There we go. Yep, where else? Pentecost? Yeah, where is it in Elijah? Oh, yeah, all the time with Elijah, right? So he's got the... Prophets of Baal. And then there's, the, I, can't, I can never remember whether it's Elijah or Elisha, the guy, he's sitting on a mountain and the soldiers come to get, come to fetch him and he says, and they say, man of God, come down from there. And he says, well, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you. And whoosh. And then it happened two more times. Or it would have happened a third time. Um, but the guy said, please don't. Please don't do it. Um, uh, so there's fire from heaven. Consuming, here it consumes the sacrifice. Baal doesn't have any fire, right? Uh, regardless of how, how hard they try, doesn't have any fire. Um, consumes the enemies. He rides into heaven on a fiery chariot, right? Um, which, I mean, you, so the image, the image is holiness, right? It's, the fire is, is I, I, identifying the holiness, Right, fiery chariots. So then, take us to Pentecost. What's Pentecost? 
Oh yeah. What tell us that story? Yeah. Uh, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And then the angel brings a coal from the altar and touches his lips so that he can he can speak. And he's not consumed. He's cleansed. He's he's purified. Good. Um, I don't know if this is Elijah's story, where the one of the prophets didn't light a fire. They lit a fire for their God, and then he said, "I'm gonna pour water in the." Yeah. Uh, yep, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Yep. Yeah. Maybe he's maybe he's taking maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe that's why he's not. Or maybe he's sleeping. Um. Good. Oh, the, yeah, they're clay, the lamps in their clay jars. They cracked open their lamps and there was, the, there was all this light. There were 300 of them and 100,000 or whatever of... Um, that's the wise virgins, right? Keeping their lamps lit. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire of judgment. So um, what about Pentecost? I'm always I'm interested in Pentecost. What does fire have to do with Pentecost? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, tongues of fire, um, which are which indicate the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? The, the Holy Spirit came upon There was this rush of wind. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and then they were speaking in every different language. Um, you know the, the um, what is it? It's a, it's a hymn, an old hymn in the church. Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Right? Or, um, yeah, come, Holy Spirit, illuminate us with, with your light. Um, so the, the Holy Spirit now, the Holy Spirit now is attached to this, uh, this fire as God's holiness. Now, um, it doesn't consume them. Uh, it's, it's at their service, right? It's at their disposal to further God's kingdom, to proclaim God's kingdom, right? How can that be? So we've gone from, we've gone from fire just being a really dangerous thing, um, and in every case, you just, you, you sort of hope you're on the right side, that you're not the one getting consumed, to now fire sitting on their heads, and um, they're, they're, the, they're going forth into the world with that, bearing that fire, not cons- not consuming people. What's what's the difference? What's happened? In the heart of Okay. Okay. It burns in the heart of the Christians. Yeah, right. Did not did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke on the on the road? Yeah, right. Um so so how so here's the question. How is it that for us, for Christians, for in the New Testament, fire is transforming and not consuming. Yeah, right. He can withhold his wrath, but use, use Jesus as his buffer. Yeah, right. So in Malachi, I'll take you to Malachi for a second here. Uh, you're still there, right? Um, So his first, the first disputation, he says, I have loved you. And the people say, how have you loved us? And then in verse 6, the next disputation, 
he says, A son honors his father, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? If I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? And here's, what, here's how they despised his name. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Just the Lord hosts. So, so they've been given this really clear set of criteria about what kind of animals they could bring to sacrifice. The firstborn males without blemish, right? Um, and they were bringing all of these, the, the blind and the lame. And he said, and Malachi says, look, if you do that and you've got, you're keeping back that lamb for yourself, uh, your, your blessing is turned into a curse, he says. So now we come to Jesus who is on the cross, um, the perfect sacrifice, right? So even not all the blood of beasts on Israel's altar slain, you know that hymn? Um, Not all the blood of beasts on Israel's altar slain could do what Jesus does. So they they couldn't do it, right? They were were a a fill-in. They were were holding, holding the people over. Until Jesus came. Now Jesus, the perfect sacrifice without blemish, takes all of God's wrath, the fire of God's wrath, in himself. He's consumed by it. The perfect sacrifice. And so, there is now no, there is now no longer any condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. Right? The fire of God's wrath uh, has been extinguished. It's been, it's been satisfied by consuming Christ. Surely. He's truly saying that the law is not the end of itself. Right. And that the, the fucking means that giving God his honor that he deserves for what he has given us. Right. And that's, you see that often. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a... It's a really interesting um, set of disputations because people are just foolish, right? So they say, well, how have we despised? Well, you brought... You brought a blind, a blind sheep to the sacrifice. I mean, everybody knows that that was not a good idea. And you know why the temple's in disarray, why the temple's falling apart? It's because you haven't been giving your tithes and your contributions. That's why. Um, and he says, so don't, so don't, don't deceive me. Do you, you think that you can, you think you can rob God, he says? The, who, what, what man can rob God? Um, so then turn to, the end of, uh, turn to the end of Malachi. This is the, the last disputation. Um, verse 13. This is, I think this is really cool. Um, so the, the, he says, the theme for Malachi is this argument between God and the people, this discussion. But how would, so no, her, having heard what you've heard of God speaking in Malachi so far, how would you describe his character? Just, um, at, at, at some point his justice will be executed. But right now, what is he? Long-suffering, right? I have loved you, he says. I have loved you. You were, you were wearying me with your complaints. And he says, your words, listen to this, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. That's not, I mean, you're hurting me. 
your words have been hard against me. That's not somebody, that's, that's not the voice of somebody who's like fed up and had it. That's the voice of somebody who's patient and long-suffering. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, and here they come against his very name. It is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we will call the arrogant blessed. An inverse beatitude. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and escape. And instead of, instead of replying, uh, Malachi tells this, tells this story. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention. So some, some heard Malachi's prophecy and believed. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So uh, his patience paid off. His forbearance, his long-suffering paid off because some repented, some heard. While the wood was still green, they they believed so that they wouldn't be like stubble in the day of judgment. Um, They shall be mine, says the Lord, of hosts in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. This is, this is uh, keep going. Then, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So if you're concerned about evil and good, good not being equally rewarded right now or not receiving their just desserts, you will see the distinction in that day between righteous and wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Pretend that chapter 4, that Big four is not there. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, you who have my name from baptism, right? The son of righteousness, fiery, the fiery son, but that's the son of God's holiness, his righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be like ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. I don't remember why I started telling you about that or reading that to you, but it's beautiful, isn't it? Um, because it, so it, it just, I mean, at the, even at the end, this is the, the last book of the Old Testament. Even at the end of the, the, the preaching of the prophets, God's um, saying there's going to be a day, there's going to be a day when, the, when fire is going to come. Um, don't, please stop wearying me. I have loved you. Right? Return, he says, return to me and I will return to you. And the people say, how can we return to you? Which is, just, which is a fair question, but, the, but uh, they, they weren't ready to hear the answer. Right? Which is, uh, confess your sins, acknowledge, uh, uh, worship the Lord in in, uh, in truth. Um, so there's going to be this day, and then and then it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ when get the fire of God's wrath consumes him on the cross, on the altar of the cross, um, so that so that for us we no longer have to fear the day of judgment. That day that is coming. When Jesus turns to the, the mourners and says, Behold, the day is coming. He's speaking like a prophet. Behold, the day is coming when you, will, when, uh, when you will say, Blessed are the barren and those who have not born children. Blessed And mountains fall on us and hills cover us. Um, because things are going to be worse in that day. But right now, right now, 
the wood is green. Right now, return to me and I will return to you, he says. Um, and uh, so Jesus comes with, with promises that, that sort of overwhelm his, his threats. Um, he does, he, if, he, if he could, he would not threaten. If he could not, he would not threaten. But the threat, the threat is on account of our sin. God's wrath is on account of our sin. It's coming. Cling to Christ. Okay. Uh, you, I'm, I've been preparing for my sermon during the last 15 minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for me. Um, anything else I can... <laughs> any, any questions? Okay. No Bible study next week. And then there's two, there's two chapters left. They're short. So we'll do the second to last one the week after Thanksgiving. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Ladies, I have a Christmas sharing announcement. Um, I will have one. We have our families. Our numbers are down, but that's okay. We have 111 families coming. Our demographic has changed drastically. It used to be about half 40 to 50% of our families were Spanish-speaking. Now most of them are from Southeast Asia. Why? I don't know. Um, But with that, that means two things. One, Southeast Asians tend to be shorter people. The other is I have 10 or 12 requests for snow boots and snow pants, but no sizes. Um, I can give you ages, and I'm going to try to see if I can get some sizes, but I can give you boy or girl or, you know, sizes. (laughs) I mean, ages, but I don't have sizes. And the other, you have all been so generous, we do not need any more laundry detergent. (laughs) We do need socks and snow boots and snow pants and that type of thing, but both adult and kids. I mean, if adults are small, kids are smaller. I mean, but they still be kids sizes, but we don't need a whole lot of um, hefty or, yeah, yeah. We'll need some, but not that, no, not, not that many. That's it.